Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Kevin Riggs and I want to thank you for listening to Floods of Justice, a weekly conversation with my guest along with co-host Kevin Sage where we discuss current events from a biblical perspective without the labels. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5 and I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 1, where we discuss COVID, Donald Trump's insane speech at CPAC, and Christian nationalism. This Christian nationalism um, is not only wrong, it's heretical, a heresy that is destroying the church. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. This has uh, been a chore to get season two going, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, if you only knew the behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, the, the original, I think our last episode of season one was in December, and yeah. I really thought uh, mid December, mid January, we would start up, um, but there were some issues, and then, uh, and then I got COVID. Yeah. Uh, so it was down for a couple weeks, and then we had snowvin. We got shut down because of snow, and uh, and then earlier we tried to do an episode and ran into so many technical difficulties. We just we just stopped and said, "Well, let's try it another day," which is today. Maybe someone or somebody or something's trying to stop us, so we must have some good episodes coming up. I have had a few people ask, "When are you going to start up again?" So would you tell them nothing's happening in 2021? I mean, it's been That's the news has been just so like we don't even have anything to talk about. Yeah, it's been so calm, so much different than 2020 that it's just unbelievable. <laughs> I, you know, if you're if you're a cynic, you could say we are now in the 15th month of 2020. Really, yeah, the exactly. way things are going. <laughs> well, some of it has been, uh, in my opinion, promising. There's been some some good things. There's been some crazy, crazy things that we never thought would have happened. And this will be a a, a bit of a recap and also a forecast yeah. of things that we want to talk about in season two and bringing in a lot more guests and uh yeah well this episode really for those who are listening really just going to kind of be a catch-up and a hodgepodge of just some different things um with hopefully some introductions of where we're headed but um you know our our county the county you and i live in has lifted its its uh, mask mandate and um i think most people who are concerned about covid was, was are still going to wear a mask but it's no longer required and uh, there's a part of me that's concerned about that. Not overly concerned, but I'm, I am concerned um, because um, after my own experience with COVID, um, I told people, if anybody ever comes to me and say COVID is just the flu, I'm going to I'm going to throat punch them um, because uh, uh, because for me, uh, I had a difficult, very, very difficult 10 days. Um, I'm still struggling. I'm five weeks removed from when I tested positive, uh, but I'm still struggling with fatigue. Um, I got a dry cough still every once in a while and, uh, and some digestive issues. I'm not going to go into detail about, uh, five weeks, yeah. you know, five weeks Thank out. You. Yeah. So I'm told it's, uh, it'll last, you know, these kind of things are four to eight weeks long. So uh, maybe in a couple more weeks, I'll be a hundred percent. I feel like I'm probably about 90%, just a little few things. I have a friend in Michigan, uh, who is a nurse and, uh, and he got COVID and he's 60 plus days of, um, of just struggling, just recently tried to go back to work. So he had it worse than I did, but, uh, mine was, uh, uh, mine was pretty bad. I had, uh, I had all the symptoms except for, um, I didn't lose my sense of a uh, taste or smell. I did lose my appetite, 
lost 10 pounds, but then gained 10 pounds when we were shut inside for the snow. So, so that kind of canceled uh, each other back, each other out. But and so that regard, I'm like, man, we're not ready to, to, to get back to normal yet, if we ever will be. So I still encourage people to please wear your mask, even though it's not mandated. Um, wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands, um, and, uh, and get vaccinated. My, uh, uh, my wife goes for her first shot Saturday because she's in the school system. I'm in the group 1C, which means uh, I think maybe the end of March, 1st of April is uh, when I'll go. But because you work in the health field, you got your vaccine. What was that like? Oh boy, the first one, the first one was fairly mild. Although I think my arm hurt worse on the first one than the second one. But the second one laid me out with chills and aches and fatigue, and and that would and that lasted hard for a day. And then I woke up the next day, and it was boom, I'm feeling yeah. good. So thankful good. that I was able good. to to get that for you know for the residents. I, I work in an assisted living facility, so. For them, any level of protection that we can uh, bring to them helps. We, you know, we we did we have lost uh, people to COVID. I've I've lost people in my personal life to COVID. I have friends who lost both parents yeah. within ten days to COVID. So you know, the circle just gets smaller and smaller, or bigger and bigger, on the number of people that it that it affects personally, and it's no longer abstract. And then a lot of people I've heard have that same reaction that you said. You know, man, if if someone ever comes to me and says this. Oh, I'm gonna come back with with fire because this is no joke. This this is not just the flu. Yeah, yeah. And the weird thing is, unfortunately, because of this virus, no one really knows how they're going to respond until they get it. And so, somebody else may get it, and it's just it, it is just like a cold or something. And they don't. My my wife, who took care of me, she never had the first symptom. Um, and uh, um, you know, or, or if she did, I mean, she never went and got tested. So if she did, she was asymptomatic. We just pretty much just isolated ourselves um, for what ended up being three and a half weeks with the with the winter weather we got. But, uh, um, you know, so so, yeah, if you get it and you have mild symptoms or, or you're asymptomatic, please understand that does not mean that's how everybody reacts to it. Um, yeah. Everybody, uh, everybody is different. Um, I, I've got some, uh, I've got several people trying to figure out a way to get me to get a shot quicker, but, um, the CDC actually recommends that you don't get a vaccine 90 days until 90 days after your, um, uh, your positive test. And so for me, that would be, uh, you know, the end of April, 1st of May, I asked my brother, my brother's a medical doctor and I asked him about it. And he said, he talked to his personal physician about it. And said, well, really, the reason they do that, you can get it sooner than that. But the reason they suggest 90 days is there seems to be some evidence that if you had COVID and then you get a vaccine too quick, um, then you you respond worse as far as the effects, the immediate effects, as far as get, getting sick again and feeling bad and all of that. Uh, there's a possibility that, if, you know, the uh, if you get the vaccine too soon after having COVID, that your reaction to the vaccine will be worse than if you wait. Uh, but there's nothing, but he said, there's no, no reason why. So I'm hoping maybe mid April, if one C, if the group one C comes up in April, then maybe by mid April, I'll have it. My wife tells me if come May 1st, I don't have it. She's putting me on isolation until I get it. So, so I want to, uh, cause to be honest, I, the, the reason for that is there was one night in particular where, uh, I didn't, to be honest, like the thought crossed my mind, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to survive this. I mean, it was. I started coughing. I couldn't breathe. My heart, my heart was racing real fast. And, 
And uh, it, it was it was scary. I mean, I'm not afraid to die, but it was just, you know, it, it was it was scary. So after that experience, um, I think, you know, my, my wife told me, if you don't get vaccinated, if it's May and you're not vaccinated yet, you're not going, you're not leaving the house until you go get vaccinated. So, yeah. So I'm hoping for mid-April. I don't want to not be able to leave my house. I'm going stir crazy. I know, I know. And I think I think it's it's interesting too because we may say, "Oh, I'm not afraid to die," or as a believer, as a Christian, you're like, "No, yeah. we shouldn't be afraid of death." But when when your theory becomes practical and you're actually faced with that moment, do you do you actually believe what you have been claiming to believe, or is it slightly different? Or you go, "Okay, this is yeah. this is really it," and yeah, well, I think for me, the idea of, of you know, I'm I'm going to leave my family. That, that that's kind of you know, it's like okay, I know I'll be okay, but leaving everybody behind. But you know, the old saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go today. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it kind of kind of kicks in. But you know, some of that may have been an overreaction to me just because of the moment that I was in. I mean, I never went to the hospital or anything like that, but uh, um, it, it was far worse than the flu. And I've never had the flu that five weeks later you're still you still have symptoms, you know, of the flu. Whereas, you know, yeah. there, there are still the, I have brain fog, um, which is one of those things they say could last eight weeks or so where your short-term memory is just not, you know, just not there. I can tell you what happened 20 years ago, but, but uh, what, you know, what happened five minutes ago, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. What, what, where, what, what did I come in here for? You know, and, uh, uh, and all that. But, uh, again, there's people who are far worse. I contacted a pastor friend of mine in Honduras when I was sick just to say, hey, man, pray for me. And he wrote back, I've got it now, too, and I'm not doing good. Pray for me. And so we, we tried to encourage each other. Uh, and he's actually having to go to therapy on his lungs. He, his breathing was really, really, really bad. So, um, you know, it could always be worse. But uh, it's really kind of odd because you never got COVID, but you got tested more than anybody I know. I never got tested until yeah. I tested positive. <laughs> I caught hypochondria. That was my every week. I was like, "Oh no, I have it. Oh no, I've got it now." No, nope. <laughs> oh, I got the aches. I got the drills. I got the fever. Oh, I'm gonna die. No, <laughs> you're fine. Yeah, but uh, you know, I slept good. I slept basically four days straight. You know, so so I got a lot of sleep. But uh, but uh, anyway, that that that's my COVID experience. I hope you don't get it. If you do get it, I hope it's mild. It's great to be back on the air for Season 2 of Floods of Justice. Thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to be a part of the discussion, download the Anchor app to your smartphone. And leave us a voice message. We'll include it on a future episode. Now, as we rejoin the conversation for today's episode, we'll shift topics to the Capitol riot and the rise of Christian nationalism. January 6th. Um, man, alive. I, that's one of those days that I'll never forget, you know. Uh, just kind of minding my own business, and then all of a sudden the news feeds start coming through, um, and then really spend the rest of the day glued to the television, watching, uh, watching what's happening, and not um, and not believing what I'm seeing uh, before my eyes, and and uh, and the fact that there are people who just want to sweep that under the rug and say it was no big deal. Uh, that's even <laughs> that's even more troubling. I mean, you had people inside the Capitol saying, "Hang Mike Pence." And outside the capitals, they had built gallows. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and people want to say, well, it wasn't really, you know, well, they were just peacefully protesting. Well, that's 
you know, if they if they if they'd have got a hold of a congressman or a congresswoman or the vice president, uh, I hate to think what's happening. And even as it was, five people died, um, you know, because of uh, because of those events. And we just want to sweep that away and keep going and say let's let's get united. That that's a that's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> well, I'm kind of surprised at how well Mike Pence is sweeping this under the rug to be threatened by his own citizens, not defended by his running mate and president. And then to just kind of go on like it's like, it's nothing. Yeah. I'm looking I'd, forward I'd to one sh- of these. I'd be shaken. I'm looking forward to one of these days. It'll probably be years from now, but one of these days when maybe Mike Pence does get serious <clears throat> and does um, talk about this, um, you know, I, I, there's some things going on where I think, you can see, like, for example, Mike Pence didn't go to the CPAC conference this past weekend. And uh, I can't remember the last time a Republican uh, vice president didn't go to that event. I mean, but he he didn't go. And I think it was because Trump was the headliner. And uh, and so I think there's some things like that that show that he's saying one thing in public, but um, but behind the scenes. And, and again, I, I would have to think his wife is has to because i'm thinking you know what i might would be able to say you know what i'm just going to let that go not worry about it but i don't think my wife would ever let that go (laughs) and uh and not worry about it so uh yeah but you know and the the thing that was troubling among other things at that at that protest was that you saw these jesus save signs um and uh, jesus for you know 2020 banners uh going into the capitol in the midst of all that and then i don't know if you ever saw the video but there's a video clip of um the organizers of um of all that especially that guy that was dressed up with the makeup and the horns and all that when they got inside the when they got inside the senate chambers they went up front got everybody's attention and had a time of prayer thanking god for allowing them to do what they did and uh you know that is that's as close to being physically sick of watching something that I think I've ever, uh, that I've ever seen. I mean, it was almost like an anger seeing the banners and people doing this in the name of Christ. There was like an anger, but then hearing that prayer, there was a, uh, there was just a revulsion. Have you seen that video? Yeah. It was just a revulsion of, of you gotta be kidding me. And, uh, and, 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 you know, the evangelical church doesn't want to say a whole lot about it. I, uh, you know, I, I signed a statement and got quoted in uh, NPR, um, a statement that at the time about 200 evangelical leaders had signed and I was one of them. And now they're up, I think over a thousand people have signed it, but it's, I would read the statement, but it's really, really long, but a, a statement condemning white supremacy, Christian nationalism, and what happened on, uh, on January 6th. I was at a, well, I will put on, the show notes and include a link to that. Okay. So. Yeah. And I was on, a. I was on a press conference um, with, uh, it, was, it was really odd. It was a Zoom press conference, but but I was on that press conference and some of the other people in that press conference are people who I've looked up to and read and followed. And and uh, so it was kind of humbling to be there. And then I spoke at the press conference and then something I said sparked the reporter's interest and she called me the next day and I spoke with her for about 15 minutes. And then uh, I thought she was recording something for a podcast, which she still may have done, but then the next day, uh, the the NPR and some other people picked it up, and she quoted me in that uh, in that article. And um, I got emails, a few emails from around the country, but they were all positive emails. Uh, I didn't get any negative emails. 
um, for that. I got negative emails for something else that we'll talk about in a minute, but, uh, but for that, um, uh, for that statement, um, it seems to be positive and it's growing and I can't see why in the world, any Christian <clears throat> evangelical conservative mainline, any Christian could not sign that and say, this is wrong. You know, I thought <clears throat> back in the day, um, <clears throat> when I was teaching at, at national state and I had, I had lots of, um, Muslim students in my classes, and there would be a suicide bombing, or there would be uh, something bad about that, or we would talk about 9-11 and, and Islam, and, and my, my almost to a, a person, my, my students who were Muslim would say, but that's not true Islam. True Islam is peaceful. True Islam is this. What, that's, not, that, that's a small percentage of people, and they're violent, and they don't understand uh, the true teachings of, of Muhammad, and, and, and they would condemn that, rightfully so. And I remember telling them when we have the discussion, well, you need more Islamic leaders to stand up and condemn that. You know, you need more of them. And that's where we are now, church. Yeah. That's where we are now. The, this Christian nationalism, uh, the violence that is taken. You go all the way back to Timothy McVeigh, who thought he was doing God's will when he blew up the building um, that he blew up. Um, it, that's a small percentage of Christians, but yet they are causing damage. They're doing violence. And in the same way, we would want um, Muslim people, who, people who follow Islam, to stand up and say these terrorist attacks are not right. That's not a true representation of Islam. We have got to stand up and say that is not right. That's not a true representation of Christianity. Uh, it's not a true representation of followers of Jesus, um, because the, the people who aren't Christians out there, that's what they're seeing, and they're saying, yes, it is. This is if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. And, uh, and we've got to say this is, that is not Christianity. It's to be condemned uh, totally. And if we don't do that, uh, then, um, uh, then we're complicit in it. If we don't condemn it, we're complicit. That's just, that's just the way it is. Well, I agree. I agree with the statement that, that this is not what Christianity is about. My worry, though, is that in America that that's not the, the minority. Well, I'm worried that the yeah. the evangelicals, the 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 majority of Christ, professing Christians in America would support Trump. May not necessarily have been there on the steps of the Capitol, but have su support the movement, support the question of the election, support spreading of the false information, and you know pursuing a a. And I know that the, they hate this term, white supremacist uh, attitude, but. There is a, a white supremacy um, prevalent among uh, you know that small portion was evident. I think with the people who signed the uh, statement, um, you know, I got I I got I made people upset because very early on in Trump's presidency, um, I started comparing I started comparing where we are now to where Germany was in Hitler with Hitler, and yeah. people misunderstood that they thought I was saying Trump was Hitler, and it's like, well, no, I you know I don't I can't I mean who know I can't foresee. Um, I can't foresee any president in the United States wanting to kill millions and millions of people. I can't foresee that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I, but but my point was no. I'm not really comparing Trump to Hitler. I'm comparing the evangelical church in the United States to the evangelical church of Germany during that time, uh, of how they supported um, Hitler. Some of them all the way to the bitter end, um, and uh, and no and the church the churches got in bed with the power structure that Hitler had put in place because it benefited them. And um, and then late in that, near the end of all of that, the confessing church, which Diedrich Bonhoeffer and some others were a part of, uh, 
came out of the evangelical church, the confessing church, and started standing up against Hitler, even to the point, and I'm not suggesting, you know, some this is an ethical debate that, that you have in seminary oftentimes, because Bonhoeffer was actually in on a plan to assassinate Hitler. You know, so can you believe that? A, past, a pastor, you know, a Christian pastor pulling out of the, um, the way the churches were heading, forming the confessing church, but then some of those pastors actually planning on how they could assassinate Hitler. So that's, that is probably a little too far to the, you know, too far to go. But that confessing church that finally stood up against Hitler, um, and, uh, and that's what we got to have today, a confessing church. And, it, and in, in Germany, it was the minority. Uh, it was the minority of believers who, who were part of the confessing church. And I think in the United States, um, that's what we got to have also is this confessing church that says, you know what, uh, we're going to stand up against this. We're going to do it, um, you know, nonviolently. Um, that's the way Jesus would do it. But we're not going to be silent. We're going to speak to the power structure, but we're also going to speak to the churches and say, we have got to root this out. If you look at our history, and, and there's been a lot of there's been a lot of things written over the last several years that really show that this white nationalism and white supremacy was ingrained in our country and in the churches in our country from the very beginning. You know, that it, this is, it, it's kind of reached a boiling point right now, uh, but it, it's always been there. And, and those, I, and it really came from Europe, uh, but those things, I mean, that's what caused um, the okay to genocide the Native Americans um, and to have um, African American Africans then, but to, to enslave black people um, was, um, you know, it was based on this heretical view of scripture oftentimes. And, uh, and that, you know, the United States is a city on a hill, manifest destiny, uh, exceptionalism, all those things that were put into our culture even before we were a country. Um, and, and, that, and so it's been there all along and hopefully now God, I, I was working on my sermon for Sunday and I, I quoted Phyllis Tickle. She, she passed away in 2015, but she was a, a, just a writer, um, and an editorial person and, a, an expert on religion in America. And she said every 500 years, um, the church has to clean out the attic and have a rummage cell. Um, and throughout history, it seemed like every 500 years of Christianity, there's been a huge shift in um in christianity and we're in the middle of one of those shifts now i think the new the bible would call it a purging jesus would talk about purging and i think we're going through a purging and hopefully we'll get it'll we'll be able to root out this stuff that's been part of our country for 300 years um and uh and be able to have a a better representation of of what it means to follow christ because i still believe jesus is the way the truth and the life you know and i still believe the church is his body um, and the church is the hope of the world because it, it, it's the steward of that message of Jesus. Um, but, uh, uh, but boy, uh, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again right now. The only people who are listening to evangelicals are other evangelicals. Um, you know, no one outside of evangelicalism is listening to a thing evangelicals have to say because they see it as a corrupt, hypocritical, judgmental, uh, people instead of, um, uh, the message of Christ, which is a message of love and acceptance. This Christian nationalism um, is not only wrong, it's heretical. This is a heresy that is destroying the church. You know, I live in what very, very well, the county we live in very well may be the capital for Christian nationalism. <laughs> and she didn't say that in a quote, but I said that at yeah. the press conference that, you know, I live in the, this may very, 
you know, Middle Tennessee may very well be the capital of uh, of Christian nationalism. And so I think that kind of is what sparked her interest in it. But I think the main quote was that I called it heretical, not just wrong, but heretical. That she said. Well, I've heard I've heard this discussion a lot in different arenas now, and it's the it's the debate between as a Christian, should you be political? Should you not be political? What is that word political? Was Jesus political? And where does that word political fit within the life of a believer in Jesus? What are your thoughts on? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Jesus was more than political, but he was in doubt. He was without a doubt political and his teachings have political or they should have political consequences. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, Jesus is, is he, you know, he died for our sins and he's, he's our savior, but we have individualized that and made it all about me person, you know, personal and, uh, uh, and without realizing that it was the government who ultimately killed Jesus and they didn't kill Jesus because he was a nice guy going around feeding people and healing people. They killed him because the Jewish people said, this guy says he's the king. This guy says he's the president of the United States and he is to be followed and not and not Caesar. And so he was he was killed as an he was he was he was crucified because they saw him as an insurrectionist, basically. Um, and that's and that's political. Um, you know, the Romans didn't really crucify religious people. You know, they, they would crucify people who they thought had really committed political crimes, really more than anything else. The two the two. Um, people who died with Jesus on the cross, you know, we usually say they were thieves, and that's not really a good translation because at that point in time, the Romans only crucified insurrectionists, and so um, and so the two people who hung with Jesus were people who had their own followings, and uh, who were trying to overthrow the Roman government, and so they got the same penalty that Jesus got, and so that's political. And then when you move farther into the New Testament and the first church, um, that phrase, and I wrote a blog about this not too long ago, but that phrase. Jesus is Lord is highly political. I think when we say Jesus is Lord, we think we that that's some type of salt, you know, cozy, makes me feel better. You know, Jesus is my boss. He's in control of my life. He, you know, uh, and all that is true. But in the New Testament days and saying Jesus is Lord would get you killed because in essence, what you were saying is Caesar is not. In essence, saying Jesus is Lord would be equivalent to, to kneeling during the national anthem. And the people who are conservative and in love with their country would crucify you and still do want to crucify you uh, for doing that. We've seen that in our own state recently with with what's going on at East Tennessee State University. Um, and of course, and then, of course, what what happened with Colin Kaepernick. But uh, but to say Jesus is Lord means you are turning your back on your allegiance to your country. That's what it meant in the New Testament. And uh, and that is highly political. And I think. um I think it's still highly political. For, so for me personally, and I've said this before, and I don't want to make anybody more angry with me than they need to be, but because I believe that so strongly, Jesus is Lord means that I can have I, that I don't have a I cannot have allegiance to anyone else. You know, I haven't said the pledge of allegiance in about five or six years now, because I can't align myself. You know, I can't pledge allegiance to anything but Jesus. That's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean I don't love my country. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to stand up when the national anthem is sung and and um, be thankful for the for people who are serving our country and all of that. I can, I can still be patriotic, so to speak, um, but uh, but I can't be nationalistic. Um, and uh, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't pledge allegiance to a country and pledge allegiance to Christ. Uh, I don't think. Now, that's me personally. 
I know not everybody feels that way, but that's just kind of where I am uh, right now, that my allegiance is so. And so that's the politics of it. Plus, then, you know, in our country, uh, you know, there's there was no democracy in the Bible. You know, it was kings and queens and and emperors. So you didn't get a right to vote, (laughs) you know. But now God in our country, God has given us this privilege where we can actually vote for our leaders. And we can actually speak up and we have freedom of speech and we can change the laws of our country. We can do that. And so as a follower of Jesus who wants to be faithful and patriotic to my country that God has allowed me to be in and to be salt and light, well, then, yes, I vote. And, yes, you've got to you've got to become um, you've got to get involved in the issues that are going on that are important to Christ. And then we live in a country where we can change what is happening and so it's a dereliction of duty not to try to change those things. To me, as a follower of Jesus, I, my politics involves me looking at issues. Yeah. So it's not aligning myself with a particular political party because, I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, Biden, he's been president for a month and he's already bombed a country, you know, yeah. and he's and he's already opened up the um, the immigration things and children children that we, we got closed down while Trump was there. He He's opened them back up. And so... Biden's done a lot of good things, but um, but at the end of the day, he's he's not a whole lot different than than the Republicans as far as uh, as far as on those, on those kind of issues, you know. And so, um, you know, we're we're in these endless wars still, um, and, and and he and so that's why I cannot, you know, you can't follow an ideology, but you can speak out on the issues of the day um, and the issues that are clearly moral, like uh, how we're treating immigrants or. Or like you know, on our own on our own state level, where we don't have Medicaid expansion and we're not taking care of the uh, of the sick. You know, the United States is like the only country that's not a third world country, but it's the only country in the world that if you get sick, you could go bankrupt. You could lose everything you have because you got sick, and um, and that and that is that is immoral. That um, that we don't provide health care uh, for people when Jesus says to take care of the sick. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that we live in the richest country in the world, uh, but there are people, um, who are homeless and they're not, they're not homeless because of, they've necessarily chosen to be, but they're homeless because of mental illness, um, or, or because of the economy. Now they've lost their jobs or even because of addiction. But what we want to do is we want to arrest them and put, we want to arrest the addict instead of treating the addict. Um, when we could, you know, there, there, there's things that we could do and we can speak up. Uh, on those issues and even speak up on the sanctity of life and, um, and, you know, um, abortion, we can, we can speak out, you know, on those issues that we see, but also on the economy and other things that have that, that impact people negatively. Um, you know, I think as part of being salt and light and it's part also of being the conscience of the community, which I think as spiritual leaders we're called to be, everybody can't do this because not everybody has the freedom of schedule, <laughs> You know, I mean, you, you know, not everybody can go protest at the Capitol at 12 noon, even though they believe in what's being protested because, you know, of, of, of their work schedule. But but those who have that flexibility, um, I think, should be willing, um, you know, uh, to do that and should be willing to uh, to call the congressman to write editorials to uh, to protest, peacefully protest when they can um, and uh, to try to, to to try to let their voices be heard so that you can change. Um, things that are going on. I mean, the civil rights movement was ultimately a movement that started in the black church and look at the changes that were made, you know? Um, and, uh, and so, 
you know, it was really on one hand, it was it was Christians who believed in slavery. But on the other hand, it was also Christians who who fought against slavery and and eventually overturned, uh, overturned that. So, you know, so you. You don't want to be consumed by politics, but th- there's a level in which following Jesus means that you do get involved in one level or another of trying to make the world a better place to bring the kingdom of God. While we wait for the kingdom of God to be fulfilled, uh, we bring portions of the kingdom of God into reality uh, while we're living this life. Well, you made the news with uh, with the evangelical statement, but then uh, in about the same week or so, you made the news <laughs> like the next day. <laughs> next day wow all right let's talk yeah. about that one well and this was more local um yeah. our state governor lee has pushed to pass and more than likely it's going to pass but has pushed to pass a permitless carry bill which basically means that you don't have to go to a class and get a permit to uh to carry a handgun and and this is not so much just carrying a handgun but it's concealing the fact that you it's concealed weapon you know, like, I mean, you, you know, you, you can, like the other day I was somewhere and somebody was checking out of a hotel. I was talking to uh, someone who was at the hotel and this was a hotel that was really for homeless people in Nashville. Um, and, um, and this guy came walking out of the hotel, got in a car, <clears throat> looked like he was moving on, but he had a rifle, you know, but that's okay. He was carrying a rifle. Everybody could see it. So, you know, it's not, not, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to say, but it, really wasn't, I didn't feel threatened. I mean, he wasn't carrying it like he was about ready to shoot it. He just kind of had it slung on his shoulder, carrying it to the car. Um, but, and I know this is already the case. I mean, you go to Walmart, you go to Target, you just go out in public. More than likely, there's a lot of people there who have guns, not just police officers, but regular ordinary people. They got them tucked in their belt or down in their pant legs somewhere and they're concealed and nobody sees them. There's some degree of comfort in knowing that if they do have that, they've had at least a minimum of training where they took a class and and had an instructor show them how to fire that gun. And then you can carry that yeah. gun anywhere you want to. <clears throat> With the permitless uh, bill, well, then anyone over 21 who doesn't have a felony could carry a gun. They don't have to get any training. They don't even have to show they know how to use it. But it's just, it's just anyone. And I tell people I'm against the permitless carry because you don't want somebody like me carrying a gun. Cause I have no idea how to use it, you know? <laughs> so, so you don't want, now I'm not, now I'm, I'm not against people having guns. I mean, that's, it's not a, you know, to me, this is not a second amendment issue. It's just a kind of a common sense issue. Now, what's interesting is as a pastor speaking, the, these are the type of issues um, that, that, you know, you can't go to the Bible and find a, I'm, I'm standing up for this because the Bible says thou shalt not carry guns, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, most people think, why even, why do you even mess with that? You know, I mean, it's like, oh, that's a stupid bill, but who cares? You know, well, if somebody doesn't speak up, then, you know, things like that get worse. Now, the, the argument back um, is, well, you know, the criminals are never going to get a permit anyway. You know, and they're like, well, you're right. They're always going to break the law. But if that's your logic, well, then anyone over the age of 21 who doesn't have a felony should be able to get should be able to drive a vehicle without any training. Yeah. You know, when said criminal who doesn't have the permit decides to open fire in Walmart and four untrained (laughs) gunmen in Walmart decide to fire back and hit 20 (laughs) innocent people because their shot is terrible. That's your answer right there. It has nothing to do with the criminals. Again, it's with people that are a bad shot. (laughs) Again, you should be against permitless carry because you don't want somebody like me 
carrying a weapon. Yeah. I mean, that, that should say it right there. <laughs> I mean, you, you know. have to, to, to get the permit. I've taken the class multiple times and you have to have an accuracy level of, of a certain proficiency to even pass. So it's like, Oh yeah. It's just, and what's, and, and the, I don't know what the motive is behind this. I mean, you know, it's probably just to, to garner more votes, but when governor Lee ran for governor, he specifically said at that time that he was against this kind of bill that he was against permitless carry. And so what's happened in two years um, that has caused him to, to not only say he's for it, but to really push it. But anyway, with the with the nationalism thing, I got emails and they were all positive. Boy, I got about six or seven emails, and these would be all local people because the, like we had the press conference, but then only the only newspaper that picked it up was our local newspaper in Winston County. And uh, boy, man, I'm going to hell. Um, I'm a... I'm a flaming liberal who wants to take away people's guns and, and I'm for a communist country. And, and, <laughs> and you know, it, it, you just, you just ignore those and kind of laugh. But I, I think I've discovered that if you speak out against any Confederate monument or you speak out against guns, you better prepare yourself for, uh, for some, uh, uh, for some hatred. If you're new to Floods of Justice, welcome, and be sure to check out our Season 1 episodes on systemic racism, social justice, mass incarceration, and more. If you'd like to connect online, you can visit us at www.floodsofjustice.org, find us on Facebook, or engage with Dr. Kevin Riggs directly on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. That's R-I-G-G-S underscore K-E-V-I-N. And now, back to our conversation. But I did feel like I needed to watch Trump's speech at CPAC. Um, I don't know why I felt like I needed to, but I thought, well, I, I better, I better watch this. And, you know, then I had to take a shower afterwards. I felt dirty, but after watching him, but, um, you know, it was the same old stuff. And what was really, again, what was really concerning, there were two things that really, he said everything he's always said before. So, you know, that uh, the vote, the, the election was stolen, da, 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 all that, but he went hard after the Supreme court. I mean, he called them cowards. He, I mean, he went, he attacked the Supreme Court. And I was watching that. I was like, that's going to cause an insurrection again. You're, you're telling the country that this, our Supreme Court is just a bunch of cowards who are too afraid to do the right thing. Um, that, that's that type of speech that's going to cause people now to go and try to kill Supreme Court justices because they were cowards, you know, and, and the guy you're following said that. So that was concerning. And as far as I know, for the first time, and I could be wrong on this, and, and it could have been he said it before and I just ignored it. For the first time, not only did he say we're headed towards socialism, but basically, if we don't elect people like him, we're headed toward communism. And as far as I know, that's the first time the word communist has been used, that, that our country is going to become a communist country. You know, and uh, I'm like, what, socialism wasn't, wasn't good enough for you? Now you're going that far? And, um, and those were the two yeah. things, everything else he said, I'd heard before, but from my perspective, those were two things that he said that I was just like, this is, this is insanity. Thank you again for listening to floods of justice, where we discuss the issues of the day from a biblical perspective without the labels. If you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast, you can go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash floods of justice. The link is in the show notes. Buy us a cup, buy us two. Any size contribution is truly appreciated. We are in the process of establishing 501c3 status where your donations will be tax deductible. But in the meantime, a cup of coffee is just fine with us. 
Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler.